0: Hello oh, and welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Associate Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My, de- my guest is David Eil, former economics professor and now first year law student. And we will discuss his practice of extracurricular reading as a law student, as well as his experiences as informed by his prior career. So welcome to the program, David.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm really uh, happy to be here.
0: Great, great. Well, um, I was wondering if you could start by just introducing yourself uh, to, to my listeners. Let's, let's Tell them a little bit about sort of who you are, what your background was before going to law school, and
1: maybe what your experiences have been like so far. Sure. So when I first went to undergrad, I was determined to be a classics major. And uh, being the classics professor is one of the, I think, very few occupations that you can end up with after a full course of studies in classics. That's, I guess, what I envisioned myself as at that point, um, given that my, my baseball career had really floundered by that point. Um, but uh, while I was in undergrad, I uh, shifted about halfway through my undergraduate career to uh, economics and international relations, um, partly because um, 9-11 happened when I was right about to start my junior year of of college. And uh, it was kind of a, a cataclysmic event that I, I felt um, called me to some kind of more practical service um, than studying classics, although I, I still love classics, but, and I, I do think that, you know, studying classics offers practical lessons for today, but it's, it seemed like i I wanted to get into something more immediate. So, mm-hmm. um, I ended up as a double major in, uh, economics and international relations. I worked for a couple of years in a consulting company after, uh, finishing undergraduate, which was not, uh, a very rewarding experience. And, um, I then went to, I entered a, a PhD program in economics. Uh, I decided that what was wrong with that experience was not so much that it was in economics, but that it was the private sector and uh, cert- the goals of a private organization are much different than um, that of an academic economist. So I, I thought that that was the, the path forward for me to find meaningful work. And so mm-hmm. uh, I did my PhD in economics. Uh, I studied Uh, behavioral and experimental economics. I was, um, I guess, risk and time preferences and information processing would would be my focus, uh, would have been my focus. So uh, after that, I worked at uh, George Mason University. I was an assistant professor of economics there. And after three or four years in in that, um, I began to feel that uh, research was uh, not fulfilling for me either on a personal level or as uh, a means to um, have some kind of constructive role in society. We were Mm -hmm. uh, speaking earlier about how, as a professor, often, you know, you do some research and kind of release it out into the ether and uh, hope that, somebody reads it, but the, I think, general assumption is that nobody will. Um, Maybe, uh, maybe, if you're lucky, the uh, reviewers at whatever editor, uh, at whatever journal you send it to will read the paper. Um, But especially in the field that I was in, which is kind of, um, you know, looking at decisions on a a very basic level, it's kind of like the basic science of econ research, I would say. So it's Mm -hmm. not kind of the... Um, you know, program policy evaluation kind of research that uh, is most policy relevant. And um, also, I just had very little contact with the way that uh, my research might have any impact on any actual person. Um, mm. And also, I, I realized uh, kind of maybe late in my uh, life as an economist that um, some people really did believe in their research and they thought that society should actually base social decisions on what they were finding. And <laughs> um, I, I guess I should have, uh, I mean, I understood intellectually earlier that this was part of the program we were all involved in is to mm. better inform social decisions. And like the, you know, the things that you're writing in papers were things that uh, you know you should actually believe that you've found and that everybody else should know about. Um, I, I never believed that to be true of my research. Um, it's a healthy attitude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, not, not so much. I, I mean, to, to be clear, I, I never, you know, uh, I, I was, I was never, uh, advocating anything that I thought, uh, was actually untrue. Like I was not faking data or anything like that, but, um, I, uh, you know, I was, I was, uh, analyzing the data my experiments and things like that, and, you know, trying to draw logical conclusions from them, but uh, in a way that uh, felt almost kind of hypothetical. Mm. And and that's kind of uh, standard, I, I think, uh, at least the way uh, that economics papers are written are that, you know, you get to kind of the policy application section at the end. And at least for the kind of research I did, which is, um, uh, you know, how individuals, uh, process risk and making decisions or how they process information. Uh, you can get very fanciful in, in how the biases that you're trying to identify in, in your paper, or, uh, or whatever can multiply into, um, you know, catastrophic social effects and, what kind of policy interventions might be able to resolve this. Um, and there's kind of, I think incentives in the publication process to get a little bit fanciful to mm-hmm. um, convince your audience that your are uh, that your research is relevant. But I, I anyway, I, I realized by the end that I would never convinced myself of that. Mm-hmm. And um, it, so also around this time, uh, you know, the, the, the 2016 election happened, which I think changed a lot of people's, uh, ideas about what was going on in the country, what their role could be as citizens. And, um, I, I felt that, uh, the issues I was working on were not really that relevant to, um, the country's success or failure. <laughs> and, um, and also just the, the publication process, which, um, I'm sure, you know, is, probably similar in law is economics is, you know, you work on something for a very long time. It, it, uh, you get very into the minute details of it and it spends a while in economics. It can be years in, um, the reviewing process and, you know, years after you first have the hi- idea, it, it gets mm. hopefully published. So, uh, just on a day to day basis, I think you have very little in terms of immediate incentives to, get you out of bed in the morning and uh i just felt like um you know if i just did nothing that day then nobody was really going to (laughs) care it was uh not going to impact anybody's life except for maybe mine when my tenure decision came up um so that didn't work for me just as a a way to motivate myself i'm not good at um staying dedicated with that kind of incentive structure so um what you know i i've uh, I felt that uh, the criminal justice system in the United States was uh, something I felt strongly was not working well um, and something that if I uh, got involved with, I I could uh, have an impact on the lives of individual people and an impact that I could see more on a day to day basis that uh, it would uh, there would be, you know, real people who needed my help and that maybe after some training I could give them that help. And Mm -hmm. if I didn't go to work that day, you know, they would miss me. So, um, all those things were important to me. And I, and I felt that, um, I mean, I think different people reacted to the election in different ways. Obviously some people, uh, used it as a call to really get involved in, politics at the national level, uh, or, you know, in electoral politics. And of course that's important. And I've gotten involved in smaller ways in that also, but, um, I felt that this was, you know, more of a, a widespread social issue, the, uh, criminal justice issues and something that's, uh, that revealed, um, I don't know if i go so far as to say a, a rot, but you know, some, real problems in our society. And, and one thing I liked about it as something to work on was that um, it was, it's not really for the most part uh, I think directly related to presidential politics. Um, I mean, I, I think uh, as I said, Trump being elected made me think more about the country and how I wanted to uh, participate in um, our society. But uh, i don't see criminal justice as an uh an issue that's really directly trump related that much so mm. um, yeah that's uh i, I guess <laughs> i went on a, a while there which and far afield of your original question but i hope that uh, not
0: not 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 at all so you just started law school this year i take it
1: that's correct yeah so i uh i've gotten through one semester and uh next week I'm about to begin the second
0: Great, and it's been going going well so far.
1: Yeah, no, I th- I think um, so. As your listeners may have gathered uh, from my long description of my life pre law school, I'm an older student. So I'm uh, 37, uh, which I think makes me the oldest student in my class. Um, and I think there are a couple things about one about that. One is that uh, I just know more stuff than my classmates. Uh, and you know, they're all extremely smart. So it's, it's not that I'm, you know, just smarter than them, but I've just, uh, been around for longer and had more time to, to learn stuff. So one of the things that really, uh, brought this home to me and, uh, um, we were in, this is the like second week of civil procedure class and, um, our professor asked a student who, you know, the student's probably like 22 years old, a question about what uh, a justice was uh, trying, the point of justice was trying to make in an opinion that we were discussing. This is an opinion by Justice O'Connor. And uh, the student uh began by saying, well, I think what he is trying to say in this opinion is that, and I realized that this, this student did not know who Sandra Day O'Connor was and that Sandra uh, Day O'Connor was a woman. Um, and you know, I guess that's, that can happen if you're 22. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, some things like that, but I, I think also, um, being older and especially having gone through a stressful graduate school experience once, um, mm makes me kind of uh gives me a, a broader perspective on uh law school and especially you know i've I've been through uh virtually a whole career and uh, having you know washed out of that entirely and gone to a second one and i so i know that it, it's not really that big a deal if you uh flunk your cold call or don't do well on exam or whatever um yeah. so i i think to me, the, the stakes of law school seem lower than to a lot of my classmates. So um, I think I'm a fair amount less stressed out than they are.
0: Yeah, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about sort of both your economics background in relation to studying law like so far, but also just, you know, being on – you know, both sides of the podium at different stages in your career as well, and how that's affected your sort of experience of, of being a student again.
1: Sure. Uh, I'll go for that last question first and then come back to the economics thing. Um, I think actually going back to being a student from being a professor is not a very big transition at all, at least for me. Um, mm. I think if you're the kind of person that – you know, really uh, enjoys authority and attention and really resents uh, being subjected to somebody else's authority and having to give them attention, then it might be a big change. But um, I don't think that's a big motivator for me. And I I think uh, the main um, determinant of my experience as a professor or a student is just being in an academic environment and that to me feels basically the same whether you're a professor or a student. There is in law a lot more deference given to the professor than in economics. Um I think that's partly because law classes are so much bigger mm. um than PhD classes in economics, but also I think just cuz law demands uh deference to authority in a way that research in economics doesn't. Um but i I think it, it would have been a much more jarring change for me if I had you know become an economist at a private firm or something uh, mm-hmm. I think the the change in environment and culture there would have jarred me much more than just the change in role but staying within the academic environment so mm-hmm. um, that change has been fine for me in terms of uh how economics um my experience in economics has influenced my study in law i i I guess um, if you had asked me this last summer and what I expected to be the case in law school, I think I would have said that I expected a lot more hostility to economics from um, from law i guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I knew that, you know, law and economics was kind of a big movement, but uh, my perception of lawyers was that they were kind of hostile to economic thinking. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely true of of some lawyers and, uh, you know, some of the opinions I've read, but uh, I guess uh, I've been surprised at how deferential law is to economics a lot of the time. Um, And in some ways that I think are good in some ways that I, I, I think are maybe bad. Um, I, I think, uh, I guess I should be careful here, even though, uh, <laughs> probably none of my professors from the last semester will listen to this podcast, but, um, I'll, I'll throw blame on the opinions then that we've read from some of the professors that, um, there, there's definitely a lot of the time that I, th- I think economics is imported incorrectly. Um, or um, the understanding that's, the, the judges have of ec- the economics that they're using is, is not very thorough. Um,
0: yeah. 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 No, I mean, I think that this is a common criticism of a lot of kind of mobilization of economic argument, including through the law and economics movement, that there can be a certain superficiality.
1: Yeah. I think um, part of it is because, um, I mean, one of the things I I've, felt as an economist is that we don't know anything. (laughs) Um, I mean, economics, I I think is, uh, I I don't think it's because economists are stupid. I think it's because, or even that they have the wrong methods, but uh, just, it's a very difficult field to know anything in. And um, I I don't think that uh, um, the, the economists who kind of speak most with the the legal profession are, are trying to be misleading, but at the same time you, uh, you know, there's this whole world out there of law, which both has a lot of influence on society. I mean, legal, uh, rulings have large effects and courts are powerful and, um, that's tantalizing. And of course, also there's a tremendous amount of money in law. Um, so I, uh, I think if just like I was, um, talking earlier about you know the policy application section of your academic paper uh when you're kind of selling yourself to the legal profession as a as a discipline uh it's easy to uh suggest you know more confidence in your results than you actually have uh, um, so i i just uh so a corollary and I, and to be clear I don't think um economics is anywhere near as uh, a sham science is what I'm about to mention, but um, I just read a, a book on uh, the use, partly on the use of um, bite mark uh, matching in criminal cases, um, mm-hmm. which the book argued, uh, I think persuasively is, uh, um, has been given far too much latitude by criminal courts. And it's not really a very reliable form of evidence, but um, because, there's a market for it uh, you know, there's ends up being a supply of supposed experts who are willing to testify that they've gotten a lot more information out of the evidence that they've been given than um, they really should testify to. Um, so I, I, th- I think there's both in life in general, because people like to be confident and it's fun to, to tell people that you know what you're talking about. And in the legal context specifically um, you know, there is, it's easy to get overconfident about stuff. And I think uh, particularly in uh, economics where it really is so difficult, I think, to learn things um, mm. that, that there's a tendency towards overconfidence. And I think part of that too is, um, you know, in policy discussions, for instance, um, you know, there are a lot of uh, important economic policy decisions to be made and um while an economist um might not know that much about economics because again there's just not that much consensus on a lot of important issues they know more about economics than other people and those people sometimes are more than willing to say that they're perversely uh confident in what they're saying so i think that sort of um Bidding war for for credibility can sometimes uh, result in overstatement of confidence too. Uh, so I I, I I don't think it's that um, economists are are um, are deceitful. I think it's just that uh, it's it's easy to to oversell. So um, I think part that's part of why the legal profession ends up having. Um, giving a lot of deference to economists and in, in, in kind of an oversimplified uh, version of economics because right. that's often what the economics profession is offering. It tells very neat stories sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I wonder,
0: just just in passing, um, do you think your your background in economics and the sort of sort of economics worldview that. I assume to a greater or lesser degree, you must have internalized affected your decision-making process about where to attend law school.
1: Um, not so much. Uh, I mean, my decision to attend law school, uh, where to attend law school was essentially made for me by admissions committees. So, uh, (laughs) it turned out to be easy. I, I guess one, uh, one thing is that I I did not apply to Chicago, uh, which I understand to be a hotbed of law and economics, uh, partly because I wanted to really be sure that I was not going to get roped into doing more economic stuff. Um, so it might have been relevant to my decision not to apply to Chicago, but really I wanted to stay on the East Coast anyway, so I, I probably wouldn't have applied to Chicago. Um, so... Uh, I mean, so I'm at Columbia and I think the impression of Columbia, and I think it's probably a, a correct one is that a vast majority of the students, you know, end up going to big law in New York. And, um, I'm sure the pressures to do that will, will build as I, uh, continue my law school career here, but, um, I'm hoping to stay away from it as much as possible.
0: Right. Right. Well, so let's transition a little bit to the reason I, w- one of the reasons I initially was interested to talk to you, which is your um, really impressive list of outside reading as a first semester law student uh, on a really wide range of different subjects. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about sort of what prompted that and how you think it's, um, inflected or affected your
1: experience of your first
0: year of law school, if at
1: all. Yeah. Um, so what prompted it, I guess, is, uh, just that I've always been a, a devoted reader and, uh, going into, it would have been a big change for me to stop reading, uh, when (laughs) law school started. So it wasn't that, um, you know, I decided to have this big program in conjunction with law school of outside reading. It was more just, uh, this is a part of my life and I didn't want to end it. I, I guess one thing I'll add on on that um, subject is one obstacle to me when I was thinking about what to do instead of economics or if I wanted to leave academia was um, my, my conception of myself is partly as, as an intellectual. And I think within the academy, there's this perception that everybody outside of academia is... Um, not necessarily an idiot, but is not really thinking hard. Um, I, even within economics, which um, is perceived as a, a, and is a discipline that thinks of decision makers in the private sector as, you know, intelligent and, you know, largely rational and making roughly good decisions. Um, but I, I think there is this idea that like, if you leave the, academy then your intellectual life just kind of ends um and i knew that that wasn't true because you know i know people who are not professors and who uh read widely and have interesting things to say um so you know i've eventually uh overcame this fear and was able to convince myself that i could still think about plenty of things as someone who um Did not hold a job a position at a university um but maybe continuing to to read in other fields was part of my way of of really asserting that to myself that you know i was going to get a professional degree and my intention was to enter (coughs) um enter the profession and be a, a practicing lawyer but that that didn't mean that i i had to give up my other intellectual interests, so um, so that was part of the goal of, of that reading. Uh, and then, uh, in terms of kind of what I've read and how how it complements uh, the things I've been studying in law school, um, I, I definitely read a lot in U.S. history, and um, I read a, a fair amount in U.S. history before, but I, I think I I kind of accelerated that following. The election as well um just because i as a citizen um you know as an american I, I feel like it's important to uh understand um understand my country better and also i think it's maybe every citizen of any country thinks that their country's story is is incredible and um fascinating but i i definitely feel that about the united states I, it's the country's story just has so much depth in it and, um, you know, resonance to me. So, and, and of course, uh, there's a lot of interplay between U S history and U S law. So, um, yeah. So I was
0: wondering, I mean, maybe you could just say, and I mean, I could be totally off base, but like looking at a lot of the stuff that you've been reading, it seems as if it could to some degree, the choices, in other words, could to some degree have been informed by um, ideas or subject matter that you were studying uh, in school. And I also wonder, you know, whether the reading you found that the reading that you're doing is informing your experience of the classes that you've been taking.
1: Yeah. Um, so, so definitely, I, I read a lot on criminal justice issues as well, um, and part of what led me to go to law school as opposed to say, I don't know, try to find some nonprofit to work for that works on criminal justice issues where I maybe could have used my econ degree directly in some way. um, Is um, after a fair amount of reading, thinking that (coughs) uh, public defense is kind of crucial to the system functioning better. And um, that. I wanted to play that role and um, um, kind of support the uh, the public defense system for at least a few years and uh, understand that better before, if ever, uh, moving on to some, some other role. Um, and I definitely um, uh, bring in the – Uh, US history reading for sure In class when I can Um, Mm. So I I Remember This is like the second week of uh, Civil procedure And I think uh, I can't remember the exact decision we were talking about But it was uh, Hugo Black featured prominently And Mm -hmm. I Knew a fair amount about Hugo Black uh, From uh, Several books that i've read i guess uh the FCR biography I, I read i think talked about it mm. anyway um so you know i uh kind of related uh hugo backs black whole background to the opinion that we were talking about and the other students were kind of like looking at me like i had three heads <laughs> they were like <laughs> uh yeah uh so sometimes i think i Go overboard, maybe, with bringing in uh, things that I've learned outside of class to class. Um, and so, actually, the the professor in that class cautioned me that I, on the exam I should not use things from outside the course on the exam because uh, I am the only one that would do that, and <laughs> <laughs> she would she would know that it was me, and it would break anonymity. So, uh huh. Um, yeah, if that gives you an idea of, of uh, <laughs> how how weird that is to uh, uh, compared to other students. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I so I, I think it's I, I still think the the perspective offered by the things I read outside of classes is, is valuable to me. Um, but in terms of just doing well in the classes on a purely academic level, I think it may at least, it may hurt at least as often as, as it helps. I mean, the, (coughs) the professors in our classes and um, maybe you do also give the advice at the beginning of the course that, um, you know, we know that there are a lot of commercial guides out there um, but please don't use them because they'll probably just confuse you. And we're trying to teach you our version of this class, maybe different from somebody else's version. So just stick to our version. I think that's probably good advice for basically everybody. And um, sometimes, you know, whatever I get from outside reading might, might violate that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I imagine it depends on the professor. I'm pretty open-minded about that sort of thing, but, um, (laughs) But that may be the exception that proves the rule more than anything else. Um, So anyway, I guess uh, in closing, David, if you could just say a little something about like what your experience has been so far and sort of where you see yourself going forward.
1: Yeah. So uh, my experience so far, uh, like I said, it's been uh, relatively low stress for me uh, compared to what I expected a first year of law school to be like, I guess that's, kind of famous last words, (laughs) the second semester starting now, and I'm sure um, it'll be overwhelming soon enough. Um, But uh, so far it's, it's, it's been mainly kind of a continuation of, you know, my academic experience. And, you know, though I thought the first year of law school would be kind of like, okay, this is my first year becoming a lawyer. um, I feel like that'll really happen for me once I, uh, you know, start working over the summer. Um, so I, um, if anybody in your audience has a position available in a public defense office, <laughs> get in touch with me, I'm looking. Um, uh, but my intention is to get as much experience in public defense, um, as I can, as soon as I can. So, um, the, this coming summer, I'm hoping to work in a public defense office likewise the next summer. And then hopefully after that, um, I'll, I'll be working as a public defender as well. So, uh, and and I think that's going to be the break in experience for me. I mean, I, um, you know, I, I, uh, grew up in, um, you know, uh, I don't think anybody in my family is my immediate family has been, uh, been in a courtroom with a, a criminal charge hanging over them or, um, ever been represented by a public defender. So I don't have that much experience with these kinds of situations. Uh, It's going to be a real uh, expansion in my life experience to, to do that. And uh, i I think that part will be challenging for me Um, both to be, um, have that much uh, close experience with, uh, with people facing um, these kinds of situations that I, I, don't have. And, uh, also to figure out a way to kind of, um, you know, eventually earn their trust so that I can advocate for them. Um, so I, I think that will be the real, um, a break from my previous experiences that'll force me to, uh, grow more as a person. I think the first year of law school has, um, you know, felt mostly like a big reading group. (laughs) Uh, And I'm in a lot of reading groups. So I I know what that's like. And, uh, you know, that um, has been mostly fun for me um, and not very uncomfortable. So I uh, am, you know, looking forward to more of that the rest of the semester. And I'm I'm sure that I'll I'll learn plenty from that and grow from it too. But I, I think the real um growing pains that I'll have, I think will be this summer and following, um, you know, when I'm actually working with clients.
0: Great. Well, good luck with it and and thanks for talking with to me tonight, David.
1: Great. Thank you so much. I've been to the prisons at Norfolk, Concord, Framingham, and Walpole. People in confinement day after day, no job training, no education, no rehabilitation. Let me tell you, if they didn't go in as hardened criminals, they came out that way. So when we tackled prison reform, we were really trying to stop that vicious criminal cycle. That's what the furlough program and work release are all about. And I'll tell you why I think it'll work. I also replaced the old juvenile prisons with new rehabilitation programs. And that is already working. The number of juveniles returning to crime has dropped from 83 percent down to 25 percent. And these are not our figures. They're from the Harvard Law Center for Criminal Justice.